I love ClickFunnels because it does so much so well. And when you sign up for a free trial of ClickFunnels through the link I'm about to tell you, you will not only get a free trial, but you'll get all kinds of great bonuses from me. All the templates that I use actively using for Piano in 21 Days right now that have really helped make it successful. You will get those in your account. You can just plug in all of your brand and your information and your copy and be off to the races very, very quickly. And you also get a small course from me on how to use ClickFunnels best as a course creator. So go ahead and sign up for that 14-day free trial by going to theonlinecourseguy.com slash click and you will get a free trial of ClickFunnels and all those great bonuses that I mentioned. This episode is also brought to you by Deadline Funnel, another one of my favorite tools because it helps me do evergreen deadlines so, so well. It just works so well and all the top course creators are using Deadline Funnel. I highly recommend you use it as well. I've been using it for years and they have generously offered to give you guys, my audience, a double free trial. Normal free trial is 14 days. But if you follow this link, you will get a 28-day free trial of Deadline Funnel. So head over to DeadlineFunnel.com slash OCG. Now let's get on to episode 134, Privacy Policies, Terms of Use, and Other Legal Considerations for Course Creators. Let's go. Regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. And off we go. Welcome aboard. Glad you're with us. This is The Online Course Show. I'm your host, Jacques Hopkins, and here with me is our co-host, David Crozy. Hey, what's up? What's up, David Crozy? And we're excited to dive into all things online courses with you today. We are on episode 134 today. This is a legal episode, David. How excited are you about talking legal stuff today? Oh, man. I don't know. Legal stuff <laughs> sounds hard, but I, I'll, I'll give the listeners a preview. I mean, the, the interview is actually really great. So... Yeah, it's it was really a really good conversation. I really enjoyed talking to Autumn. She, you know, the you can drop names and and sometimes when you drop names, it gives you credibility or sometimes you're just dropping names for the sake of dropping names. But like when I if I say, "Okay, this is Amy Porterfield's lawyer," right? That that gives her instant credibility and that's who we had on the show today, that's Amy Porterfield. Huge. Most people know who that is. She's big in the marketing space, online course space and 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 autumn came on to talk with me in in when we'll play the episode the uh, conversation in a little bit obviously to talk about just what course creators need to be concerned about from a legal perspective and i just you know i t- i mentioned this to her during the conversation but like i don't like the legal side like i never like i had a lot of friends in law school i even have a lot of lawyer friends today and i just I just don't like that part man oh, but yeah. we've we've got to do it we can't ignore it so so everybody listening stay tuned cuz it's it's really good stuff but before we get into the legal stuff let's just you know do our normal little catch up what's been going on i have something i want to share with you man i have, i don't really think i've even told you about this but i did something so fun with my piano students and they loved it i want to tell you guys about it you ready all right let's hear it I got three bottles of Dom Perignon champagne engraved with the Piano in 21 Days logo, all right? 
And what I did with those, and this is basically like to celebrate, like I had a really good month in April. And I didn't, I didn't tell them like, Hey guys, record month in sales or anything like that. I just told them like, look, I'm celebrating like piano in 21 days is going really well. Like I have a job right now through all this pandemic stuff. More people than ever are learning piano through this. More of you are like posting videos and this and that. And I want to celebrate and I want to celebrate with you. And so what I told them is I got these three bottles. It's got the logo on it. Me and my wife are going to drink one of the bottles to celebrate. And I'm going to ship out the other two to two of you. These are for my, my existing students, right? So there's, there's no catch at all. And all they had to do, and, and I need, I needed them to be in the United States. Only like 40 to 50 of my percent of my students are actually in the United States. So I, I do feel bad about not being able to um, do it for everybody. I've got some other ideas for how to serve those people as well. But I told them they need to be in the United States and at least 21 years old, obviously. And then they just had to comment and let me know if they were interested, like if they were in for the, the raffle, basically, uh, because I didn't want to, you know, pick somebody's name for somebody that, you know, is an alcoholic or, you know, doesn't drink. And so I had about probably 80 of my students ended up opting in. And in the last time I did my live stream with them, I, I put all their names in a hat, like literally took the hat off my head, put it, put their uh, names in, in and I drew two names. And yesterday morning, each, each of those people, I shipped out a bottle of piano in 21 days, Dom Perignon. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah, just looking for more ways lately to just really serve my existing students as well as possible. I think the more goodwill that's out there about me and my course, the better. And I just thought that was something fun I could do. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I've never had Dom Perignon. I've been to the place where they make it in Champagne, France. Didn't even get to taste it there. And we still haven't cracked open our bottle, even though I've had it for uh, a couple weeks now. But I'm excited to, to check that out here soon. That's great. Well, I love the idea of celebrating just every phase of the course journey. And again, I mean, just to hear that final number that you reached in April is just, you know, I've been thinking about this podcast and and why it's so fun to listen to. And it really is this like kind of butterfly transformation story. If you look at both your your journey and Nate's journey, where Nate started and where he's at now, you know, it's really cool. And what was interesting within the last couple of weeks, I actually tried to search out another podcast that has has like this transformation where somebody starts out, you know, mildly successful or doesn't have anything. And over a period of like months, you could listen to their journey. I can't find one. And so what, you know, the, the idea of going back and listening to day one and then going forward and hearing you go from, you know, a $30,000 month to 132000 I mean, that's just, just so neat. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. 40% of your students are in the U.S. So what is the breakdown? Like, where are all these other people? And that's awesome to have such a global course. Yeah, dude, you wouldn't believe the amount of UK students I have. Like, the UK is is a big fan of Piano in 21 Days. If you go to my website and click on testimonials at the top. That's one of the most important pages on my website. There's a lot of video testimonials there. And if you if you just start playing some of them, you'll notice a ton of them have, you know, non-American accents. Mm. There's a lot of there's a lot of people from the UK and Australia uh, and so on. And so the breakdown is is, you know, US is is top but just barely and then uk would be would be right there i've got a lot of canadian students a lot of canadian students in australia and a little bit in new zealand south africa that's kind of the order of of countries but the big three is us uk and canada i wonder how much of that has to do um with these other countries finding your accent sexy 
Do they comment on that at all? <laughs> my buddy, so one of my cycling friends is from New Zealand. He's a Kiwi. And uh, this dude was just telling me, like, he said, I was nobody until I came to the United States. And he said, you would not believe. He said, I can walk into a room and start talking. And like every girl in the room, just their head whips toward him. And he said, you know, he could talk about, uh, you know, the most boring subject in the world. He could talk about a hammer and they're just like mesmerized. Do you get any comments like that? Not one bit, man. Okay. I have never, I've literally never heard anybody ever like a, like somebody not an American talk about an American's accent being sexy. Like, obviously we have this, this thing about it. Most, most outside accents, whether it's, you know, English or Australian or, or New Zealand, or even people whose uh, language is not English is not their first language. Like a French person speaking English is kind of sexy and so on. But I've never heard anybody say that an American accent is sexy. So I, I certainly haven't heard that about myself. And I, I don't think that's the I don't think that's the case. I think it's just that we it, it's a global economy with the internet, and people in the UK are finding my course just like people in the US are finding my course through Google right? Google.co.uk or YouTube.co.uk. Mm-hmm. And my stuff is showing up there just as highly, if not more highly than my stuff is showing up in the US. So that's that's what I think, man. So on this note of trying to serve my students as, as well as possible, I've recently, like in the past week, I had this idea that I think could be just like, like, I don't know, this is probably hyperbole, but like revolutionary in the, for online course creators. You want me to, you want to hear it? Let's hear it. You don't sound, you don't sound excited, man. I'm about oh, to change man. the online course game. All right. So no, I, I, I want to have hardly control my excitement <laughs> over here. <laughs> All right. So I want to have a section inside of my course where it's a section where my students are the teacher. Hmm. So what I'm, what I'm getting at is this. I have literally been playing piano since I was five years old. I'm 34. So I've been, I've been playing piano to, uh, to some level. I've been playing piano for almost 30 years, right? And so I have a certain perspective when I am explaining how to play piano to a beginner, right? And, and I am so far removed from the beginner side of things. But if somebody, let's say somebody signed up for my course two months ago and had never touched a piano and, and was like super motivated, went through it every day, we're here two months later and they are playing actual songs and it sounds great. And they had incredible amount of success. How much better would they be able to explain a certain beginner topic having just been a beginner themselves two months ago, as opposed to 30 years ago? That sounds great. So wait, so, so people, I mean, when a Facebook group is working, how you hope it, hope it does people do this, but how are you going to integrate it into your course? Yeah, so it's happening already organically, like you're like you're mentioning. Like, I like there's this topic called transposing, and a lot of my students have a have trouble with it. You know, I teach it in the course, and I try to teach it. I it always comes up in the in the Facebook lives, and I do my best to explain it to beginners, like people are more on the beginner side. Well, one of my students made a seven minute video. He know he noticed that I kept getting this question over and over again. He made like a seven minute video explaining it from his perspective. And he did way better <laughs> at explaining it than I did. Right. So there's been a couple of instances of that happening organically recently. And so I'm like, 
huh, I wonder if we could make this a little more official. So I'm just thinking a dedicated section within the course somewhere. I don't even know what it would be called yet, but but we would have like, here's Doran explaining transposing. Here's Tracy explaining, you know, left-hand patterns and so on. And so, and then I could also point people there. Like if somebody comments in the Facebook group, hey, I'm having trouble with transposing, I can be like, well, look, go to the course and check out Doran's video and then let us know if you still have questions. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, everybody explains things differently and everybody has that yeah. unique perspective and I love it. it. Sounds great. Cool. Well, that's just an idea and I haven't implemented it yet, certainly, but I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I've been really excited about helping my students succeed even more lately. And it's it seems to be really paying off. My community and everything with, with Piano in 21 Days is going really well. The 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 goodwill about the brand Piano in 21 Days is, is really high right now, and I want to keep it that way. One other thing worth mentioning, David, is I've got a, a cool affiliate deal going on right now that I, you know, I don't have much experience with affiliate stuff. I, haven't, I don't have a lot of affiliates of Piano in 21 Days, but I'm working on growing that. And Zach Evans of Become a Piano Superhuman, who's he's got one of the biggest piano courses out there, reached out to me about being an affiliate to try to just serve his audience in a different way. And he blasted out his 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 affiliate link to my free workbook yesterday and has already made seven sales no in the way. past 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just the very beginning of the funnel. So the funnel is about two weeks long. And just within the first 24 hours, uh, we made seven sales, well over a thousand um, opt-ins coming from him. So oh that's God. that's cool, man. Just a, you know, synergistic deal. You know, we're we're not looking at each other as competition, but seeing how we can you know serve each other. And I think there's a place to, for me to be a, an affiliate of his within my course somewhere as well. So I'm excited about that too. Well, has he been on your podcast? Yeah, he has, man. It, I don't know. I, I, we need to look back. You know, Emily will put that uh, episode in the show notes, I'm sure, because right now, hey, Emily, put that episode in the show notes. But what, um, is, what is his, what are the people that follow him? They're more advanced, most of them? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, he, he teaches more like intermediate pianists to get to be more advanced pianists, right? Whereas I'm more complete beginner. That's awesome. So I wonder if it's people that are following his and they're like, oh, I can have my wife learn here or my, my husband learn here my mom gets started with this. I wonder how it's playing out in these actual people's homes. But that is, that's awesome. Well, keep in mind that he, he sent it out to, I think he sent it out to his purchasers, but the, the main people he sent it out was just people on his email list that had never purchased for him mm. from him. So it's probably a lot of people that, you know, got on his email list and, and maybe it wasn't quite for them. And mine is for them. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's what's uh, that's what's going over on over here, man. Anything new with you? Oh, not a whole lot. I've been uh, mainly I've been reading uh, that Copy Secrets, and then I'm halfway through Story Brand. I, I listened to podcasts by uh, Donald Miller, but I never actually read the book. But I'm enjoying just diving into copy. You know, some of the key takeaways from that Copy Copy Secrets or Copywriting Secrets, the copy one Copywriting Secrets, Copywriting yep. Secrets. It's are endorsed by Brunson, but just that importance of the headline, just that there's that first sentence has to get people to actually dive in. And I kind of already knew that, but I'm just going back and looking at my things and he gives some formulas that work most successfully. The other thing is most most people on their sales page will have a bullet list and he says each bullet needs the feature, the benefit and the meaning to the person. And so like in yours, it would be like 
you know, 20 lessons or 20 minutes per day, which means you can learn super quick with the minimal time investment. And then, and then, which means you can uh, impress your family and friends super quick. And so that third part is like that fulfillment, like what it actually means to their life. And so I've got, I've been going back and, and editing pages. It's been helpful. Nice. Very cool. And I'm, I'm very surprised that you've never read story brand. That's very interesting. That's, that's one of the top books for marketing. Mm-hmm. Well, good. It's always good to, you know, be learning and sharpening the saw and then, and then not only that, but implementing what you're learning. It sounds, it sounds like you're doing that. So that's great to hear. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun, but let's go ahead and shift back to the legal, the legal topic. And for that, we're going to bring in Autumn, who this was a great conversation. She, she, she helps a lot of online business owners and a lot of course creators with the legal side of things. So uh, obviously we'll talk about, talk about the, the conversation a little bit on the back end. So until then, let's go ahead and play the full conversation with Autumn Boyd. Hey, Autumn, welcome to the Online Course Show. Hi, Jacques. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to have you on and get into this a little bit. I think you're probably the first legal expert that we've had on so far, over 100 episodes in. So we'll get into it a little bit. And so to start, who is it that you help and, and how is it that you are helping them? Yeah. So we work with all kinds of online business owners, but a lot of course creators. So I hope I'm in the right place. We work with coaches, consultants, and a lot of them go from doing one-on-one work or group programs to creating an online course. So it's a lot of people doing a lot of different things, but a lot of them have a course. And we help them in two ways. So if they are a newer business, we do sell contract templates, which are a digital download. So they're very affordable. They're takes about 20 minutes to get them filled in up and running. And so for a lot of businesses who maybe aren't ready to work with a lawyer or just don't have the budget, those are a great way to just start with legal. And then for our clients who are a little further along in their business, you know, maybe at that six figure going up to seven or eight figure mark, uh, we work with them one-on-one to do all kinds of legal strategy. We help them register trademarks and copyrights. We do one-on-one contracts. We help when unexpected things or disputes pop up, we help them work their way through that. So really, we're, we're a full-service law firm with a very specific niche of just working with online online business owners. Now, do you have any courses of your own or is that is it pretty I much do. more of a service? Oh, really? Okay, interesting. <laughs> so we can hit this from a few angles there. Yeah, yeah. About a year and a half ago, I started my own. It is a legal course, which will not surprise you. Mm-hmm. What's, what's and, the specific topic of your course? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's called the Legal Roadmap for Online Course Creators. And it is basically everything that a course creator needs legally. So it includes a bunch of our best templates for course creators. And then we have videos that guide them through filling them out. We have um, information about protecting their trademarks and dealing with client issues. So it's kind of the whole gamut uh, for a course creator. I love it. Well, maybe, you know, I'll check it out. And I'm, I can start pointing people there because yes, I got to be yes. honest with you, Autumn, like the legal stuff just makes my brain spin. In fact, I know. shortly after I went through undergrad and I started working as an engineer a very, very, very long time ago before I started doing this stuff, my roommate was going through law school. It was my best friend. And he would come home and talk about the stuff he was <laughs> he was going through. And it just, there, there was nothing I wanted to do less. The, the legal stuff is just not me and never has been. And so now today, you know, as, I, as I'm doing consulting with people about online courses, and even in my own online course business, like I just, I just cringe about the legal side of things. So, and I think a lot of people are like that too. You either kind of love the law or you, or you hate the law. And so I'm excited to, to talk to you about this a little bit. 
and and get some of those an- those answers to questions that I have and a lot of people ask me and I'm like I don't know we need to we need to find out so that's great that you you know you serve people with your services you have an online course as well fantastic so let me ask you this I've got a lot of questions obviously but Hit me. what are the be- what are the biggest mistakes that you see uh, people making that don't really know what they're doing from a legal perspective with online business and online course businesses yeah I think the biggest one is kind of what you hinted at which is just burying your head in the sand and not dealing with it. Legal exists and it affects your business, whether you pay attention to it or not. And so it is always going to be cheaper, easier, more effective to deal with it early rather than just kind of ignoring it and waiting until you have problems come up, which we could talk about some problems. I see um, behind the curtains of a lot of really big businesses. So I've seen some big problems and we want to avoid those. Well, you know, in the short term, it's always easier to just ignore things, right? right? right. In the long term, it can usually come back to bite you. Now, you know, when people are just getting started, one of the first like legal related questions that I see is is like privacy policies and, and links that show up in the footer and disclaimers. I think a lot of people end up just copying other sites that they see, right? So is that a fair place to start? Is that we need a privacy policy and, and terms of use and certain disclaimers? Yeah, absolutely. So that is one of the the basic things that I recommend people start with. And I will give a plug for my own templates. They are really easy to use and very affordable. The danger with copying someone else's is everyone customizes theirs and you don't know kind of what they've left out or what choices they made when they were filling theirs in. They probably got a template from somewhere or maybe copied it. And so anytime you're copying something, you don't really know where it came from or you're not sure it's complete. You know, you run the risk of leaving something important out. But privacy policy is required by law. A lot of people don't realize that. If you are doing business, it's required by California law if you're a U.S. business. And I should give my standard disclaimer. None of this is legal advice. (laughs) This is just information. But it is, you know, if you're doing business online in the United States, you're probably selling to people in California. So that's going to cover you. And then the EU, if you're selling or advertising there as well, they, they also require privacy policy. So it's a good idea to have one. What about terms and conditions or I've also seen terms of use? What is that? Yeah, so those are confusing. I like to call the ones that are just on your public facing website terms and conditions. And that is basically the rules of the road for someone visiting your website. So it tells them you own all the content. It tells them, can they leave a post on your blog or can you delete things if they, you know, maybe somebody posts the same comment 10 times. You can you tell them you can delete that. It could include your disclaimers. So that may be if you're like me and you are a lawyer, but your blog is not legal advice, you might put a disclaimer there. Some other, if you're doing affiliate marketing, you might put your disclosures there. So it can kind of be a catch-all, your terms and conditions. What about results? Because as online course uh, owners and creators, typically we we have products out there that that promise results for people. Do we need to have some sort of of results disclaimer? I mean, you can take my online piano course, for example. I do have something called a results disclaimer because I want to make it clear to people, hey, I'm not guaranteeing in any way you're going to learn piano in 21 days. Even though that's literally the name of the course. Even though it's literally (laughs) the name of the course. Is Is that smart? Is that what I should be doing? Yes, it's a great idea. So anytime, especially like weight loss, any any business-oriented course, you want to be thinking about not over-promising. So of course, people buy our courses because they want to achieve a result. But you need to be really clear, you know, we're going to do our best, but you've got to put in the time and effort too. And so sometimes it's called an earnings disclaimer or a results disclaimer, but those are a great idea. And okay. that's a good place to put them. Okay. Now, do you have templates for those on your site or is that more of something that you you would want to work with a lawyer directly on? Yeah, those are included in our terms and conditions template. Okay. 
But then okay. I do have some clients who are in um, kind of specific fields. Like I spoke last week with a woman who's, uh, she's a cancer doctor and she's going to be doing and some online training very similar to her field. And so she was really worried, you know, wanting to make it very clear she's not giving medical advice in these online trainings. And so if it's something like that where the stakes are a little higher, you know, she's worried about her medical license or maybe being sued for malpractice. You know, I always say you want to keep your legal proportionate to your risk. And so, you know, where you have a higher risk, it may make more sense to spend a little bit more and work with an attorney on something like that. Or if you're, you know, a tax professional and you're doing an an online course about taxes, you know, you want to be really careful. So speaking of your clients, uh, have you worked with any, any course creating people out there that, that we may have heard of? Probably so. Amy Porterfield is one of my probably most She's well-known She's like the biggest clients. one in this space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We also work with Shalene Johnson. Mm-hmm. We work with a bunch of people who are in the life coach school. I don't know if any of your listeners are familiar with that, but we work with a lot of their really high profile coaches who also sell online courses and do all kinds of other things. But yeah, we, I, I um, am a big fan of networking. And so I've kind of networked my way into some of those circles. So they're really fun to work with. So what, what other things should us as online business, online course business owners be concerned about from a, a legal perspective? Yeah. So you mentioned terms of use, which I like to use those to refer to the contract between your students or your purchasers and you, the course creator. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be, hopefully you'll have like a checkbox at checkout or some sort of way that people can see those before they buy your product. And that's going to include, it's all the same things you would include if you were working one-on-one with someone. So you're going to tell them what they're going to get. You're going to tell them your refund policy. If you have an online community with your course, you could have you know any rules for how that works. If you have rules around confidentiality or you know, students not sharing what other students share in your online community. You know, some of these communities are really private, um, especially in in kind of the life coaching sector or, you know, things that are more personal or medical. So you you can include all of those kinds of terms in those terms of use. And it's really meant to protect both you and the student. So if something goes wrong, you can look back at that and it, it should answer your questions. So basically on the order form page, they fill out their contact information, their credit card information before they can hit submit to purchase the online course. You're saying I have a checkbox saying I agree to terms of use and link to the terms of use. Yeah, that's ideal. And it depends on your tech, kind of how that works. Some people mm-hmm. just put on the button that says buy or, you know, by clicking the buy button, you are agreeing. There's several different ways. But the thing to keep in mind is you want them to take some affirmative action. And they need to be able to see those terms of use before they take the action because it is a binding contract. So you're not really agreeing to something if you don't have a chance to read it. So I know how to do that in the software that I use. I know how to make it so there's a checkbox there that they can't they can't submit until they've checked the box. But but my next question, Autumn, would be how do we how do we prove that they actually check the box? If I if later down the road, let's say it's something like requesting a refund or they they dispute the charge down the road, how do I go back and prove to whatever third party it is that they actually agreed to my terms of use? Yeah, so it should be in your your records with the receipt from when the person person buys. Okay. If you don't have another good way to prove that, I mean, check again, check your software, but another good idea would just be to take a screenshot of your checkout page, you know, and every time you update it, you take a new screenshot and just file it away just in case, because as you, it sounds like maybe you have had a chargeback or two shock. (laughs) It's not much fun to deal with, but they will want evidence. It's almost like being in court. They want, they want you to show, you know, evidence that the person really did agree. I have been in business selling an online piano course for seven years. I probably had five disputes, maybe 
ever. So it's not a lot, but here's the thing. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. Here's the thing. The first like three or four that came through, I, I, I submitted all the evidence. I did everything that they asked me to do and I didn't win a single one. Right. So the last one or two that have come through, it's just it's just not worth my time knowing I'm going to, to lose. Do you have any tips on on, dispu- on disputing disputes? No, I mean, it sounds like you're doing everything right. The The credit card companies and the, the payment processors always side with the with the buyer. So it, it's easier. I will say online courses are tricky. It's a little easier if it's more of a one on one service where you can like show emails of where you provided coaching mm-hmm. calls that were promised or things like that. It is tougher with an online course. Especially if it's not a really high dollar course, you know, like you said, it it just isn't always worth your time to fight a battle. Now, as uh, as we scale up in our businesses and we get more and more successful, are there different things that we need to consider, different problems that might creep up from a legal perspective as we scale up? Yeah, absolutely. So as you're scaling up, I start to think more about protecting your content and protecting your brand. So that becomes thinking about copyrights, which is going to be all of the content of your course or maybe your blog content. It could even be podcasts, although people aren't typically registering those with the copyright office. And then the name of either your course or your program or your company, that's going to be protectable by trademark. And so what we see is as your profile rises, as you get more well-known, people start copying you. And you can't necessarily stop that. You can't prevent it. But having those rights registered with the governmental agencies gives you a better way to shut people down when you do find that people are starting to use your stuff without permission. And that's that's one of the things that you and your firm offer is is trademark registration. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, you know, I'm a big fan of DIYing a lot of legal because I think something is better than nothing. But this is an area where I really do recommend, you know, it's easy to mess up if it's something that you're thinking about, you know, just budgeting for it, saving for it, making sure that you do it right the first time. I, I've had like register, you know, piano in 21 days, trademark on my like someday list for, for years, <laughs> probably. It's just always been kind of daunting about where to go, who to go to, how much it's even going to cost. Like, can you give us a ballpark on about how much it costs to register a trademark? Yeah. So if you're doing it on your own, there are trademark office filing fees. And those range, they start at $225 and it's per category of the goods and services you're selling. For most online course creators, I'm registering in three classes. So multiply 225 by three. I went to law school, so I wouldn't have to do math. So I'm not great at it. <laughs> uh, but that'll give you a, a ballpark if you do it on your own. It's still, you know, 700 something dollars right. just in filing fees. If you're working with a lawyer, add another thousand, two thousand to that just for their time and that's not bad. For some reason, I had in my head like $20,000 or something. So it's, it's I've much- had several people come to me. <laughs> and when I, when I give them our price, we, we charge a flat fee. It's around $3,000 for our firm. But every firm mm-hmm. is different. Um, and I've had other people say that like, I thought it was going to be $50,000. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not nothing, but it's not crazy. Interesting. And by the way, math is so much more fun than law. I can't believe you would say that. <laughs> All right, That's why so you were an engineer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. All right, so I've gotten several questions recently. People having had their course pirated. I haven't experienced this myself. I think it's because I'm teaching piano, whereas the ones that I'm hearing from are more business oriented. Like they're teaching somebody to start some sort of business. I think it's more prevalent there. But what are what are some things that people can do proactively to to prevent that from happening? And then once it happens, what are the steps that you recommend taking? Yeah. So proactively, I would definitely register the copyrights to your course materials. And it's going to take a little while to go through, but you don't want to be scrambling to do that when you have your first copycat pop up. So that is not expensive. That filing fee is $65. 
And I am a big, I, I still do this for my clients. I file the copyrights, but the form is a little more forgiving on the copyright side. So register, you can send it all in together, register the content. That means later on, if you find someone has pirated your course, you can send them a cease and desist letter. You can negotiate more effectively because you can't file a lawsuit until you have that registration certificate in your hand. And so everyone knows if they receive a cease and desist letter, you haven't bothered to register it, that you can't file a lawsuit. So it's kind of like you're, you're all, all bark and no bite. So that's the first thing. And then if it's been pirated and it's been put up on a course platform like a Thinkific or Kajabi, you can reach out to that platform. And most of them have just a form you fill out and they'll take it down right away. And a lot of them are somewhat proactive, especially if you're one of their customers and they see something that looks fishy, you know, they'll do some, some monitoring, but they don't, they can't catch everything, especially if it's a platform that you're not a customer of. And if it's just, you know, on the internet, there's other things you can do. That's harder. If it's on a social media platform or like a course platform, those are the easiest ones to shut it down because you can file just an infringement report and usually they'll take it right down. What about the cases where it's not just directly like stealing? What about the cases where, and and I'll give you a specific example. I had somebody come to me who they had a student go through their course and then that student started a brand very similar to his and all the content was very, very similar. It was still the student on camera teaching the stuff. So it wasn't directly stealing, but it was, it was very, very close. Is there anything we can do about that? Yeah. So I always put, and in my templates, I have terms in the terms of use. So that's your contract with your student Mm. that basically says, if you copy my stuff and I find out about it, you're going to pay me, you know, a lot of money. So that is one thing. The other thing I will say, though, is this is a gray area where, you know, how many courses are there on Instagram marketing or how many courses are there on, you know, how to make your YouTube channel more popular. So you can't really protect the idea of a course on Instagram or a course on YouTube marketing. So I get I see a lot of people who say, oh, one of my students ripped me off. Well, they didn't really. And so, you know, the best thing the best thing I would say is, you know, provide really great service, make your stuff the best out there. And that's going to be your best protection Boom. because I your student, it. your student is never going to be as good as you, you know, or they may have a different spin on it and that's fine. But you can, the other thing I see a lot is people poaching like in the Facebook group for a right. course and they say, Oh, well, I'm going to do online coaching on this same exact topic. Again, you can put in your terms of use, some language that prohibits that. So if you do find people doing that, you can kick them out. You can, you know, address it. Yeah, I, I love that answer because I I, I want to have the best online piano course out there, but I also want people coming to me because they want to learn piano from me. I want them to want to learn piano from Jacques. And so if somebody rips off my stuff, that's cool. Like they can they can have their own brand, whatever. And at the end of the day, hopefully I've done a good enough job to where most people are going to rather learn piano from Jacques rather than Joe Blow, who's trying to teach piano in 20 days instead of 21 days. <laughs> yeah, I think especially with online courses, a lot of it is personality. And a lot of it is, you know, people come to you because they like your style. They like the way you teach. And so there's a lot of value in that. It's not just the content. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about Autumn, the course creator and not as much Autumn, the, the lawyer at this point. So you, you launched your online course a year and a half ago, I think is what you said. What, what was your process like for, for getting into the world of online courses? Well, I had a lot of clients who sold (laughs) online courses and I was actually chatting with one of them who's really successful. Um, She teaches a weight loss course and she basically looked at me and she's like, Autumn, why can we not take your one-on-one process and make it into a course? And I kept saying, no, 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 it's too, it's too personal. You know, everyone is a special butterfly. They all need, you know, different things. But we sat down and we whiteboarded it 
And she said, you know, what are, what, what are the five things that every online course creator needs? And I just rattled them off. I was like, Oh, that's so easy. And she's like, there's your course. So then it was just, you know, figuring out the tech, you know, making the sales page, doing all of that, but really putting together the outline was pretty quick. And I will give, I know you teach people how to make courses too. I went through Amy Porterfield's course because she was a client, but I really think it's helpful if you have never done it before to go through some sort of training because there was a, there were a lot of things that I had never thought about that were helpful. I'm sure you probably have your top tips, Jack. When people are, you know, creating their first course mm-hmm. of, you know, how to figure out what you're promising and, and what your students really need versus what you think they need. Going through all those exercises was really helpful for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it sounds like you had some good mentorship along the way. You, you'd worked with people that were willing to help you. And then, you know, you took Amy Porter's, Porterfield's course. When, when I got started seven plus years ago, like I had zero clue what I was doing. <laughs> I would have loved to have had those resources back then. So that's, uh, that's really cool. Now, uh, now, now tell us where, because I think a lot of people listening to this are going to be interested in that course. Tell us exactly where we can go to get more information and possibly purchase that course. Yeah. So if you go to my website, it's my initials, awbfirm.com slash course. That will take you to a free masterclass. So you can get uh, you know, a sense of if you like the way I teach, it'll go over the, the three legal protections you probably don't realize your course is missing. And then from there, you can uh, purchase the course if you're interested. awbfirm.com slash course. That's it. All right. Very cool. Now, of the people listening to this, who would be a fit? What type of person would be a fit for the course versus your services? Yeah. So I think the course is a great fit if you are either newer to online courses or you're maybe, let's say, under 100000 in annual revenue. And the reason I say that is because when you get above that six-figure mark, you now have more risk. And you are probably, you know, maybe you've quit your day job. Maybe you've uh, allowed your spouse to quit their day job. You just have a little bit more to protect. And so you want to be more cautious. And maybe you have a team that you're supporting. So you want to really make sure things don't go wrong. I I say my job is really to keep people from making expensive mistakes. And so when you're newer in your business or you haven't hit that 100K level, your mistakes are less expensive. (laughs) And so investing a lot in a one-on-one attorney relationship maybe isn't necessary. Now, I will say with the course, I do a monthly Q&A call. So you do get some kind of personal support through that as well. But, you know, with the one-on-one clients, we're able to really customize their legal documents to make sure they're exactly perfect for their business. That sounds very similar to the way that Parker over at Evolve Finance yes. structures thing. And that's that's who introduced us. And, you know, I had Parker on the on the podcast probably 25 episodes prior to your episode. And, you know, he, he mentioned the same thing. Like, I don't I don't want anybody making less than 100000 to come sign up with us. Like, they, first of all, they don't need us. And second of all, you know, they, they could be spending their money elsewhere uh, better at that point. But very interesting. All the, all the services we can start signing up for once we once we hit that six figure mark. Very cool. That's right. Then call me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. So uh, continue with a couple more course creation questions here. What, what tools are you using? Like, where are you hosting your course? Well, we just made a big shift because we just moved our main website. We actually host the course on a separate domain. It's called onlinecourselegal.com. But we just moved our main website to Shopify and we realized we had a lot of things linked between the two domains that then stopped working. So we have just moved it to Shopify, but we are using a Thinkific integration on our Shopify site. So it's all brand new. We're still, still, but I think we've got it working. So that's been a big transition. Yeah, we were just self-hosting it on a WordPress site, which was, it was kind of clanky anyway. So the Thinkific integration is very nice. So that seems to be working well. So you, so you register this new domain online course legal. Like did, so for example, did you trademark that? 
I did not. You know, we have, I don't know if you can see it behind me. I do have a trademark for the legal roadmap, okay. which is also the name of my podcast. Okay. But no, I didn't. There is this thing in trademark law. You may have, have heard of it or you may run across it if you decide to register your name, where if something's really descriptive, the trademark office doesn't like to give those trademarks because it prevents other people from just being able to describe what their business sells. So like Piano in 21 Days basically says what the course right. does, what it what you teach. Now there's a loophole for that. So after you've been using it five years, you can kind of prove that you, now you're very well known under that brand. So maybe in five years, I'll try or <laughs> three and a half, I'll try for online course legal. Well, it's, sometimes it's better to like see what people are actually doing rather than the words that they're saying. So, hey, you're you're going through the course creation process and all this. It's like, let's let's see what Autumn's actually doing herself. Yes, yes. Um, all right. So one more question for you wearing the course creator hat. What, what advice do you have out there? Not, not necessarily legal, but just in general, what advice do you have out there for people looking to get into and have their own online course? Yeah. The most helpful thing I did when I was creating my course was Amy Porterfield teaches this, and I have a feeling you probably recommend something similar. You can give your own spin on it, is doing phone calls with your potential students. So I actually sent an email out to my email list for my law firm, but I knew I had a lot of people who would be good fits for the course. And I said, Hey, if you'll, if you'll let me ask you questions, I hate saying pick your brain. If you'll let me ask you questions for 30 minutes, you know, I'll give you 30 minutes of my time. You can ask me whatever legal questions you have. And that was incredibly helpful. And I scribbled down there all of their words so as quickly as I could. And I put them in a Google document and I call them my golden course creator words. And you know, it asked about what are their, what are their fears around legal? What do they think is annoying about legal? What, if they could wave a magic wand, what would they make better about legal? And I really put a lot of that into packaging up, you know, what needed to be in my course and what did maybe I think needed to be in there that didn't, that nobody really wanted. So that, that was the most helpful thing. And I think every course creator should do that on the front end. I uh, completely agree. I've done over 500 of those phone calls with, with, with potential piano people. It is one of my top recommendations as well. Now, how different do you think the success of your course would be without having done that? Well, I think the, well, the sales page would look totally different because mm. I am a terrible copywriter. <laughs> mm. I go into legal mode really quickly. And so I used a lot of those words in my copy. And then I think the actual course, the number one thing that, that people kept asking for was they wanted to be able to ask questions. And so I don't think I would have added that monthly Q&A call as part of the package. I think I would have thought, oh, I can answer everything in videos and you know, the worksheets that, um, but people do, I mean, it, I was kind of right when I said everyone is a special butterfly. Everyone does have a little bit of a unique question. And so having that support as part of the course, I think is a big selling point. Very, very cool. All right. Well, you've used, uh, you've used we, the pronoun we many times throughout this. Do you have kind of a team of lawyers working with you or when somebody signs up with, with you, they're working with you? I do have a team now. There's one other lawyer and she works mostly on labor and employment issues. So we help a lot of our larger clients who have teams in all kinds of different states, sometimes even internationally. And then we have a support staff um, of four now. <laughs> Very cool. So, yeah, yeah. Autumn, this has been an absolute pleasure on my side. Thanks so much for, for coming on. Uh, to wrap up, let us know if there's anything else you want to share with the audience and remind us where we can find you online. Yeah. If you guys are interested in learning more legal, I have over 100 episodes of my Legal Roadmap podcast. So that's my number one resource. All kinds of stuff about contracts, copyright, trademark, and more. So that's in every, you know, pretty much every podcast app. Wherever you're listening to this one, you can probably find it. And then if you want to find out more about our firm or our contract templates, that's all at awbfirm.com.
Outstanding. Autumn from awbfirm.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. All right. Well, that's a wrap on the conversation with Autumn. Uh, let's bring you back, David. Uh, welcome back. Let's let's talk about this a little bit. First, first of all, like overall impressions. What did you think of this conversation? Well, it was super valuable. I mean, she's obviously a very personable attorney and enjoy learning from her and her tips and advice. I definitely can see where new course creators would prefer to be the ostrich with the head in the sand. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's where her courses would help you focus in on like, yeah, you can be an ostrich about some things, but here's the three or the five things that, hey, hey, you got to take your head out of the sand for a little bit and at least get these things done. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I have a course on courses, you know, it's, it's basically free. People can, can, can go through that, sign up for that, the online course guy.com and click on the online course accelerator. But inside that course, you know, I, I try to address all the things that a beginner would have to think of. And there is a little section on legal, but I basically say, I'm not an attorney, mm-hmm. right? You can't trust me on this. Contact an attorney, right? That's kind of what I say in the course. So if, you, if, you're, if you've gone through the course or you're going through the course or you're a beginner here, like, here's my advice now. Go to Autumn's website, right? And check out some of her templates, her privacy policy templates, her course and all that. And I think that's a great way to get started from a legal perspective uh, for course creators. Definitely. Yeah. And and I don't, it's easy to just put your head in the sand and not even just legal stuff. Like if, if something seems difficult or daunting, it's easy to just not deal with it. That's just human nature. And we can't do that. We can't do that from a legal perspective. So if you're listening to this and you don't have things nailed down and from a legal perspective, do that. Or if you're making, you know, six figures from your course, maybe reach out to Autumn directly and and get one of her legal audits mm-hmm. done. That's that's uh I'm exploring that myself. I think that's important. Yeah, the other interesting uh discussion, the concept of fighting disputes, is it worth it? <laughs> in so this is more in my I'm a chiropractor in my practice. I'm going to be honest, I've been doing this for essentially 14 years and I've never sent somebody who owed me money to collections. The personal opinion, uh, my billing manager, she'd come to me and she'd be like, "This person owes you $1200, like you deserve that. You do great care, you did your best for them and they're not paying." And every single time I would I would tell her, "Sandy, I said, Sandy, if I send them to collections, they get mad and they decide to become the worst troll ever. How much would I pay them to like take down every bad thing they've said about me online? And I'm like, in every situation, it's been more, I would pay them more money to take down any kind of slander than I would, than they owe me. And so I, I do have this respect that if somebody is not paying you, if they're screwing you over, by definition, they're a scumbag. And so is it worth it to essentially try to uh, win a battle, but then lose the war? I mean, like, I just think about what's the worst. If you, if you really create a super troll, how far they can, can they take it? I mean, this is kind of uh, back in one of the political elections, Rick Santorum, somebody decided to go m- like just monster troll on him. And you can search his name Santorum and you can see what they did. But they have the top spot when you Google him still. To this day. So, I mean, if you create a super troll, oh my gosh, they have so much power. So I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's, that's a good point, man. Cause I, I think there's some scarcity mindset there too. When you try to, you know, f- fight every battle and all that, you know, I, I had somebody recently just in the past week who requested a refund from me on like day 33 or something. I have a 30 day refund policy. And you know, at first I was like, well, no, we've got to draw this line in the sand, right? Because I can't just allow people to request refunds anytime. 
But at the same time, what you're like, what you're saying, you don't want to create this, you know, bad will with people and, and you never know what somebody's capable of or what they might do. And at the end of the day, it's not, it's not that big of a deal for me. It's I'm making, you know, plenty of money and I don't, I don't need that extra 300 or $500 or whatever that person package that person had signed up for. So, you know, I talked it over with my assistant, Emily, and, and we, we both decided it's, let's just refund her. It's, it's not, mm-hmm. a, it's just not that big of a deal. And so I'm more and more, I am, I am picking and choosing the battles that I want, want to fight. And if it's just, you know, a lot of the times at the end of the day, it's just not worth it. It's not worth my time and resources to worry about it. Well, and with that 33 day one, you asked the question, like, is she going to get on your Facebook forum and tell everybody, hey, Jacques honors a refund at any point. So you can screw him over too. It's like, no, <laughs> that's not likely. That's. But hey, I did see, I think you saw posted in our Facebook community group that you did actually win a dispute. So what was the story with that one? <laughs> oh, I just posted that for a little bit of fun because there's you know, most course creators will understand. Most course creators that have had a lot of sales understand that it's very hard to win actual disputes. But I think what that one was is I had this student a couple months ago who she she signed up for my course and then then like pretty pretty soon after that got divorced and she had like a really bad relationship and so her husband just like canceled all of her accounts and and marked everything fraudulent and so it was it was basically marked marked as a dispute by mistake because of her bad relationship with her husband and she was very apologetic about it and said she was going to fix it and i i think she got with her bank and fixed it, and that's why the quote unquote dispute was was resolved in my favor. Oh no! And, way. Uh, and so there's not really anything I did on my side at all, but I just I posted that into the group just to get a kind of a laugh, like, "Hey, look, you know, you can win disputes." That's I th- I think a bunch of people were like, "Oh, Jacques has the plan to get these no. Uh, resolved." No, no, just no. With there's people, nothing, huh? nothing I could do. But I look back at my Stripe account and like literally five or six disputes ever. You know, so it's just, it's not that many. I haven't, you know, knock on wood, but I don't think I've had any this year so far, maybe one. So in the grand scheme of things, it's just, it's not worth fighting from my perspective. Mm-hmm. The other big thing, big takeaway, well, there's a lot of takeaways, man, but you know, this whole terms of use thing, when somebody checks out, that's, that's really got me thinking, you know, I don't really have like a, a checkbox to for somebody to agree to the terms of use when they buy my course. I like to have like as the least amount of steps and barriers on the order form, right? So I don't ask people for their address or their phone number. Like literally I ask for the bare minimum, your email, mm-hmm. your name, your credit card information, right? Just, I just have always felt like the less stuff they had to do, the higher the conversion rate that's just in my head. So that's why I don't really have a, a check this box here, but it sounds like I need to add that. So I think that's 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 all my to do list to add. Mm-hmm. Although you did say that like people that do the payment plan get this like clear email that outlines the payment plan afterwards. I mean, in a way that could do the same thing, because as long as they get that within the within the refund period, I mean, that's. Because I agree. I mean, everything out there says, like, don't create friction. Don't create friction mm-hmm. in your sales process. So, I mean, that <laughs> could, to one extent or another, cover you without creating friction. Well, here's the thing, David. You're not an attorney. And Autumn is. And she, <laughs> wow. she, she recommends that we have a terms of use you know, checkbox. So, why, you know, why wouldn't I trust the attorney on that one? Well, I mean, I mean, I didn't mean that in any disrespect. No, it's well, no, but it's yeah, but it's sales versus uh, the risk. I mean, 
Yeah. Because the risk here, I mean, the real risk is just, I mean, I think you have minimal risk. Mm-hmm. No one's going to claim that, you know, you cause them to have a heart attack by playing piano. Right. So. Yeah, that's no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, you got to in anything we do we have to weigh the pros and cons. And I think in general, it's a good idea. It sounds like it, it sounds like a good idea. And, you know, like anything, we can split test it. You know, I can split test an order form that's got the the checkbox versus not and see if there's a significant de- decrease in in conversions. And then I, I doubt there would be. No, I don't think there would be either. Yeah. All right. Anything else, man? Any other takeaways uh, on your side? I mean, I I hadn't considered doing copyright. I mean, I was very familiar with like getting a trademark just because of work, my work with my my business. We got a trademark actually for my wife's skincare business, Granola Face Skincare. She wanted to have that as her own. And I had a story, my employee for a while, she had a, a cake pop business and her first name, she had stepped on somebody else's trademark, got a cease and desist from this lady in L.A., And so then when she started her, she had to rebrand her business as Urban Sugar. And she actually went through the trademark process in this donut cookie, donut company, uh, donut food truck out in uh, Maine. Uh, They started using the Urban Sugar name. And so eventually they reached out to her and they said, hey, you know, we can we actually buy the Urban Sugar name? We want to take our brand to a bigger place. She didn't want to give it up. And then they, they, she was like, well, now you guys need to stop using it. And they didn't. And so she actually had to call in a lawyer. And so it was good that she had gone through that trademark process. But the concept of doing copyright for the actual content, I wasn't familiar with that at all. So something to consider. I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I think I'm going to have some more conversations with Autumn and her team about just, just kind of the best practices for a course at my level, right? I think I'm, I'm to a point with Piano in 21 Days where I could use that just one-on-one consultation because every business is different. So we'll see. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of just taking guidance from, from smart people in their particular area. So I think I'm, I am going to get some one-on-one guidance and we'll see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing, I mean, my biggest... I mean, the biggest thing that I try to do in my own life from a legal perspective is just to treat every person the right way. I mean, to try to be, yeah, if somebody asks for money back and, and it's within reason, or even if it's not within reason, like I say, if, if it's not within reason, then they're by definition not a reasonable person. Yeah. And so I respect that. There was kind of a funny story. The, the coolest gift that I ever did for an employee, it was kind of a neat thing, but I had this lady that worked for me for a couple of years. And chiropractors periodically will do something called a patient appreciation day, where it's like a free treatment for any of our active patient base. And so I decided this lady that worked for me, Sherry, really appreciated her. But I came up with this idea where I sent an email out without her knowledge. I sent a postcard out. And the idea was that on Sherry's birthday, anybody that gave her a $20 um, $20 or more gift would receive a free treatment from me, like an IOU. And I got all this out there without any of her, without her knowing at all. And I said, here are her favorite types of wine. She loves stuff for her dogs. If nothing else, send her $20 to Target. And so she came in that day and seriously, our patients loved it. Ultimately, she probably walked away with like $700 of (laughs) like just bottles of wine. Somebody, somebody, we had this person that worked in an embroidery shop and they embroidered her dog's name on a blanket and a collar and a, and a hat And like, they just had so much fun. I was like, it was just the best day ever and such a fun way to be generous. So flash forward like two and a half months and I open the letter, I get a letter in the mail and it's from the Iowa Board of Chiropractors. 
And they're like, somebody turned you in for improper marketing. It was essentially a warning, and it said that essentially I had violated doctor-patient professionalism because I was asking my patients to get, get, get my employee a gift. And then there was something about this opportunity to come as a new patient that they didn't like as well. But the biggest thing, like, I mean, it just, it just freaked me out because somebody turned me in, and I don't know if that was another chiropractor, a patient who was dissatisfied with some portion of my care, but it really was like... It was such a surprise because, again, like the whole way that I've run my business, the whole way that I've run my course is like, you know, trying to be generous, trying to help people. And then, again, if somebody if somebody has any signs that they're unreasonable, I respect that unreasonableness. And I'm just like, all right, whatever we need to get you out of my life. So I, that was a, a weird story. But again, uh, the take home message there is that, you know, try to live your life in a way where you never create enemies and certainly you know, we didn't really mention this, but employees can end up stabbing you in the back, too, if they leave on bad terms. And so respecting your employees and trying to always, always be respectful to, to them as well. You know, you, you used the word scumbag earlier, and you know how you know how I know that person was kind of a scumbag. It's because they went to some entity and not to you directly. Right. Right. If they had a problem with what you were doing, like the first person they should reach out to is you and be like, look, David, like, or Dr. Crozy, like, I, I don't know that I agree with the way that you, you, you did this. Like, can we talk about it? Mm-hmm. No, they didn't do that. They didn't take the mature approach. They submit, you know, they, they tattled on you basically. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So just, yeah, try to try to treat people right and respect unreasonable people. That's, that's my top words of warning. Love it. Well, that's that sounds like a great wisdom to kind of wrap up on, David. So thanks so much for joining me here today for another episode of the Online Course Show. This was a fun one, man. Appreciate it very much. And thanks to everyone out there for listening and, and to Autumn for joining me on the kind of the main content, the, the, the conversation in the middle of this episode. And for those of you guys listening out there, uh, you can find all the notes and links from today's episode by going to the onlinecourseguy.com slash 134. And there there are plenty more resources there at the onlinecourseguy.com for your journey with online courses, whether you're a beginner or you have a course already and are looking to improve it and scale up and treat your students better like I've been doing, trying to do more and more of lately. So that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks again, everyone. And we'll talk next week. 